Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's a feminist podcast. Hello and welcome to Feminism Ruins Everything. We are the feminist podcast where we give critiques to movies, musicals, and pop culture phenomena and potentially ruin them. Potentially. We would like to acknowledge that today's podcast is being recorded on stolen Ghana land. We would like to pay our respects to all elders, past, present, and emerging, and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. And this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. So today we are getting a little bit festive. Um, about as festive as Ellis will let us get. Um, so, so this week, um, when we were trying to decide what we were going to do, Mim sent me like a list of about five films. And, and they were all Christmas movies. They were all Christmas movies. And this is the one that gave me like the least amount of, of disdain for the season. So today we're talking about The Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. So which, <laughs> our Christmas-themed episode <laughs> is going to be about a Halloween Christmas crossover <laughs> movie. Classic. Look, it's, it's, it's the best that I can do. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Ellis, Ellis is slightly averse to Christmas. I feel like we need to put that out there to I am. you know give some context to this. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. I, I'm averse to Christmas. Not everybody is into Christmas. That is totally fine. People out there who are also averse to Christmas, you are seen, you are valid. It's totally okay. If you like Christmas, as Mim does, I like Christmas. That's, that's cool too. You know, everybody yeah. has their own thing, and not everybody has to like the same things. Amen. Which is why there's this nice crossover of of Halloween and Christmas to kind of like... <laughs> and like, Hall- like Christmas being destroyed. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the bit where they shot down Santa, like, that was cathartic. <laughs> uh, you need to bring this up with your therapist. <laughs> I do, frequently. Good. Good. Um... A wholesome turn of events. I found out this week that my yoga studio is open on Christmas Day. Wonderful. Isn't that so nice? And like the people that own the studio and run it were like, um, yeah, we're going to like hold classes and like be a community on Christmas Day in case like your narrative around Christmas is one where you'd like support and a yoga community. And I was like, that's wholesome. That's actively beautiful. I'm here for that. I'm so, so happy to hear that. It's good shit. It's good shit. So Nightmare for Christmas. (laughs) Mim, what is your history with this film? Um, I saw it for the first time yesterday. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't know how I missed the boat. Um, I I think I've missed the Tim Burton train. Just in general. Like, I like his aesthetic. I think it's really cool, but I don't think I've ever, like... I haven't, like, done a deep dive into his back catalogue of stuff. Fair enough. Whereas I I had a huge Tim Burton phase in high school, which I think is when I first saw this film. (laughs) Was that your emo phase? Oh, yeah. They, yeah, there was a correlation <laughs> slash causation, one or both. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I really like Tim Burton as, as a director. I think his, um, I think his premises and ideas and designs sometimes are a lot stronger than the, the execution. The execution. Um, and sometimes I'm not mad about it. Mm. Uh, and, and th- this film, 
I, I, I don't know. I've, I've just kind of always had like a love for this film. Um, probably around the same time as my emo phase. Yeah, that's, that, that's yeah, why that I really, checks out. You know, kick, like, you know, it, it kicks in and, and like ingrains into my soul. Yeah. Um, I just like have this vision of like 15 year old Ellis with like his really long hair and like, he's like watching Tim Burton and like the opening notes to welcome to the black parade are playing. It's <laughs> like, I've got a really strong image of it. That's, that's Doo. very, very Doo. close to accurate. <laughs> True story. I've got a keyboard. I, I bought a keyboard this year to try and learn it. And every now and again, I'll just go and I will literally just play the opening notes to Welcome for the Black Parade and then turn the keyboard off and be like, okay, that's me done. I'm done. That's <laughs> yeah. So this film is like a spectacle, right? Like yeah. the, um, stylistically, it's very, um, it's very distinct and very reminiscent of Tim Burton. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, I suppose also like in the content and the fact that it's a bit like spooky and kooky and yeah, um, you know, a bit of a an unexpected twist on like a wholesome, well, not for everyone, but like a <laughs> usually a wholesome subject mm-hmm. matter of Christmas. Um, it, it's so it's so distinct as well. Like you look at any image from this film and you know mm-hmm. that it's that it's from this this film. Yeah. Um, however, I feel like. The gender politics in it are uh, leave a lot to be desired. I agree. Yeah, and like we have, I would argue we have one main female character and one side female character mm. in a in a movie that has a lot of characters. A lot of characters. A lot of characters. Uh, like there's the witches as well, but they're bit characters. They're bit characters. Yeah. They're they're extras, if anything else. Um, but in terms of like prominence, they are the only two, uh, both voiced by Catherine O'Hara, mm. which I, I don't know why I got to the credits and I saw her name listed twice and I'm like, is, does that say something that they only <laughs> hired one actor I also to just, play all the women? I also just don't know why you would hire one of the most iconic actresses of the last century and give her roles that are so unsubstantive. Mm. Unsubstantive? Unsubstantial. That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> I, you had me convinced with unsubstantive. I, just I was... say it with conviction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the character of Sally. Yeah. Because she is literally the only female character of note in mm-hmm. a very populous film. So, essentially what we see of this character is that she has been created in... A lab by the evil doctor, because of course she has. Yeah. Literally made. Literally At made. At one point he's like, I made you with my bare hands. Mm. Indeed. Yeah. Um, and so has evidently made her to be like this kind of servant figure. Like she prepares all of his meals and stuff. And yeah. he's like, yes, I own you. You can't escape from me. Mm. Uh, and... So, and basically she wants to escape his confines, um, evidently, and she wants to go help Jack, the protagonist, um, because there is some sort of affection there because she's been like kind of watching him from afar and... I think, I think they have like a bit of a friendship and she's just like, I really want it to be something more than that. And Mm. he's kind of preoccupied by his own... Uh, delusions that, yeah. that he doesn't really notice her. Yeah, a bit too caught up in Christmas. Yeah. Uh, so, the thing that infuriated me about this character, um, 
And like even the fact that she was voiced by um, Catherine O'Hara, who is one of my favorite humans. I'm obsessed with her. I know you haven't seen Shit's Creek, Ellis, but my my love of Shit's Creek just kind of cemented how obsessed with Catherine <laughs> O'Hara I am. Um, but the thing that frustrated me about this character so much is that, you know, they only have one female character, but somehow they manage to get this one female character to fulfill just about every sexist, gendered trope in the book. There's a lot. Every one of them. <laughs> it's like they had a checklist. Yeah. And they're like, we got to make sure that she cooks. Yeah. That she sews. She's a damsel in distress. That she's pining after our lead. Yeah, she's the love interest. Yeah. So, ah, uh, yeah, basically she she is held captive by her maker. Mm -hmm. um, what's the name of the evil doctor? <sighs> doctor, like, Fickelstein or Finkelstein something? Finkelstein or He's something like that. He's got some funky made-up name. Um, yeah, she's, like, held captive by him and is his servant, basically, mm -hmm. and keeps trying to escape. Um, she has this premonition about the fact that um, Jack that taking charge evil, of yes. Christmas. All right, <laughs> good. <laughs> um, that him trying to redo Christmas is going to end badly, mm -hmm. and no one listens to her. Her her opinions oh. are you know swept aside. Mm -hmm. um, when Jack is like delegating all the Christmas tasks, he's like, Sally, you're in charge of making my suit. Because you're a woman, you can sew, yeah. obviously. Um, and then she's like the damsel in distress. She like tries to rescue Santa and then she ends up being captive as well. Mm. Um, and then she ends up as the love interest. And we, we know literally nothing about her and she's disregarded the whole time. I, I think it, it really stood out when, with her song, with Sally's song. Um when she's kind of like, the verses are all talking about how she's had this premonition and she's really uncertain of what's going to happen and she's really worried that disaster is going to befall. But, oh, I wish Jack would love me. Mm. And it suddenly just takes this swerve into, will he see me the way I see him? I'm so nervous about the way I feel. And I'm just like, you were literally talking about something so important before and then you just had to like shoehorn in the fact that I'm in love with the guy and that's the only thing I can think about. It was, mm. And it's, it's such a wishy-washy song as well. It does absolutely nothing. I'm not, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of this number, but we will have words about mm. the score at the end. We will. This is going to be like reverse newsies. It, it will. Where you're it will. advocating for the score and I'm like, nah. <laughs> yeah. Because you're wrong. Which Look, is actually, get... no, I can't say that on a feminist podcast. <laughs> As the only man in the room going, no, you, the woman, are wrong. Mm, but that's very indicative of the way that the one female character is treated. In very that much, very much. Um, yeah, and again, if Jack had listened to her and be like, been like, oh, you've had this premonition, maybe I should take that seriously. Uh, maybe I should, you know, listen to your concerns. Then... None of the bad stuff would have happened. He wouldn't have ruined Christmas. Mm -hmm. um, so moral of the story, time and time again, <laughs> listen to the women. <laughs> Every time. I, th I think you brought up, it's kind of like our Phantom episode. Yeah. It's like, none of this would have happened. If you would listen to Madame Jury, <laughs> none of this would have happened. If you'd put your hand next to your face to you not had, get less sued. You had one job. <laughs> you had one job. 
Maybe if he'd done literally anything else in the course of the musical, mm. I would have been more sympathetic to Raoul, but he didn't. Anyway, we're, we're not talking about Phantom today. We're not talking about Phantom. We're talking about Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, I, I think it's, it, it's also, like, the film does go out of its way to make it seem like Sally is very competent. Oh, 100%. Like, she is constantly outsmarting the, the doctor. Evil genius. The evil genius. Yeah. Um, like, the, the bit with the spoon, where she's, like, <gasps> drugged his soup, and he's like, I'm not gonna drink this unless you do. And she, like, swaps the spoon for one with holes in it, so it looks like she's drinking... And, and then he's like, oh, well, it's okay then. And then gets knocked out. It's genius. And he's like, you know, she continues to outsmart him and poison him mm-hmm. and has done this on multiple occasions. And and then again, the fact that she has her premonition and she's like, I know this is going to go badly for you. She's the one who has the idea to go rescue Santa. Mm. And even though that doesn't quite work out, the way she, like, manipulates her limbs. Because oh, yeah. if you don't know, Sally can, like, remove her limbs at will. And the way she manipulates them to try and, like, rescue Santa, very ingenious. And then she kind of suffers from having to be rescued by Jack because he's mm. the hero. And you can't have the girl be the hero. Disgusting. Yeah. Obviously sarcasm. Very, very much so. <laughs> uh, the other thing that stood out to me um, about this, like, I know that the evil doctor character who is her maker, is not portrayed in a positive light. Like, he's obviously portrayed as the villain. But there was just some of the stuff that he said that I was like, that is a little bit too realistic in some regards. Mostly the, I made you so I control you and I'm in charge of you mm. and you have no autonomy beyond my my wants for you. Um, like, I drew parallels between that and, like, very over-possessive father figures who um, own their, or have a sense that they own their daughter's, you know, sexuality, decision-making, autonomy. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that it's like, it's blown out of proportion. It's it's, um, a caricature, obviously, but um, yeah, I just drew that that parallel the whole time. It's a very real, there's a very real basis mm. uh, at the center of that caricature. I made you, so you're mine. Mm. And to the point where he like literally locks her in a room and is like, you're not getting out of here until you're willing to cooperate. Mm. And it's very, you know. And, and the fact that he also like makes his own bride at the end. I feel like his main role is just, I'm here to make people to be subservient to me. Mm. And like, he, he like makes his vision of a perfect woman to like look after him and that's the end of his story it's a bit yeah and yeah. i and i suppose like again he's he's not portrayed in a positive light like no. he he has villain vibes um so it's not like when he says i made you so you belong to me or i'm going to make somebody who is going to become subservient to me that that's something that's held up in a positive light mm-hmm. um but at the same time, I think it's something that we need to talk about more. That especially if you're going to bring a person into the world, yeah, um, perhaps in a more biologically sound way, like conceiving <laughs> them rather than um, making them in a lab. Although IVF very important, yeah, that you need to come to terms with the fact that the person that you're creating is going to have their own autonomy and their own consciousness and their own will, uh, their own wills and desires, mm-hmm. and that you need to respect that. Yeah. And I think it's it's also so much more prominent when 
Sally is our only female character. Mm. And so perhaps it wouldn't be as like confronting if some of these tropes were split across several characters. But the fact that is that there is one singular character who has all of this sexist gender roles placed upon her, oh. who has the overbearing father, who is like the the, the, the mild mannered love interest. Like it, it's all condensed into one character. And I really like Sally and I wish her well. <laughs> but it's it's like I don't think there's anything wrong with Sally, it's everyone imparting all of these things onto her. Yeah, it's the portrayal of the character. It's yeah. the fact that she's not served by yeah. the, the storyline and the yes. script and the writing. Yeah. The, there is... <laughs> I wish her well. <laughs> I wish her well. I really do. This fictional cartoon character, I just want the best for her. I really do. I just, I hope she, she I don't know, gets to go to university or something. She has one of the coolest designs in the entire film. The design I, is I adore sick. her design. Yeah. And like the way she can take her limbs off and, and send her hands over there and, and stuff. Like all of that's re- really, really cool. But it, it's all kind of like let down by, by the overall narrative and just being like... Mm. Yeah. So that's the one female character. <laughs> Thus ends our feminist critique. Uh, there is there's shock... Thank you very much. As in lock, shock, and barrel. Right. I didn't realize that that was meant to be a female character. Um, uh, no, the, there's there's what, one of them's a girl. Mm. But also, no, it's it's quite nice that in the um, in the design and the presentation of these characters, like gendered lines are blurred. Yeah. Like there's not really a strong sense of like masculine and feminine in the in mm-hmm. the funky. Um, cartoony evil Halloween characters. Yeah. Um, which is good. But then, oh my gosh, is that my gender bias that I just assumed they were all boys? Oh, maybe. <gasps> Internalized misogyny. <laughs> I mean... That's my new song. All, all three of them kind of share a character. Like, they're, yeah. they're all troublemaking children who serve Boogie Boogie. Mm. And that's about it. Yeah. They get an awesome song while doing it but that's about it so even if we finish talking about the female characters obviously (laughs) intersectionality is important it's not just about the women but also the portrayal of other marginalized groups Mm -hmm. else you had an allegory that you read into this film that i greatly support (laughs) and i want to talk about it well i so I was watching, I've, I've seen this film a bunch of times and I was watching it and I'm sitting there and I'm like, I, I think, I think the reason I started thinking like this is because I realized very quickly, it's like, oh, we actually don't have a lot to talk about in terms of <laughs> feminism. <laughs> Mine for content. Because, uh, so, so this episode might be a little shorter than usual, but I'm just sitting there and I'm going like, what other angles could we analyze this film on? And I think that this film is warning us about the dangers of cultural appropriation. I seriously pay it. Because... I think it's a perfect analogy. Jack goes from his culture to a foreign one, and he's amazed by how different it is, and then he then brings back his culture to to his homeland. Their culture. It's not his culture. Oh, no, you're, you're, you're very right. Brings he brings back, back their the culture, culture to his his homeland back to Halloween town and then um and then tries to claim it and make it his own and even goes so far to 
overthrow the ruler of that culture to to make it his and to to become the the spirit of christmas or or, or whatever he's trying to do and um and it doesn't work out for him no it goes very very badly don't appropriate other cultures and i think like i don't think that this was probably Tim Burton's intention no. to make this an analogy, but I think it works really well. <laughs> like, want to talk to your kids about cultural appropriation? Chuck on yeah. um, Nightmare Before Christmas and be like, see, <laughs> stealing from other people's cultures does not end well. No. Especially from the culture, for the culture that you're stealing from. Exactly. Um, but the thing, the, the part that I think of the analogy that works the best is when he brings back the idea of Christmas to Halloween Town and they're all like um, seeing it as like, oh yeah, and then this is an opportunity to like scare people or this is a scary thing. He's like, no, you don't get it. Like, <laughs> it's a happy thing. And because of the cultural divide and because of them trying to understand the idea of this new culture through their cultural paradigm, mm. it just really gets lost in translation yeah. and it just is executed so poorly. <laughs> it's almost like they're kind of like going, well, this culture is nice, but how do we make it better? And by better, we mean like us. Mm. And it just and then works really well. It means that they put like evil toys in all of the children's presents and they attack everyone. And everyone in the culture that they're stealing from um, is negatively affected by that. Very, very negatively affected. It's a good analogy. I mean, I can't say that I I don't want to posit myself as an authority on cultural appropriation. Definitely not. Like I I would love to talk to somebody that is actually more knowledgeable and uh, is more qualified to yeah. speak on it. But from my you know uh, not heaps qualified perspective, seems like a real good analogy. I think I think it works. It, it works really well. And like I feel like I mean the the, the point of the film is like this message of like you should be yourself and be true to who you are and you shouldn't fit yourself into another person's like you shouldn't fit your peg into someone else's hole mm, mm. sounds like a euphemism yeah <laughs> but i feel like because of the way they've decided to tell this story with literal like here are two very distinct cultures and one person going and stealing from the other one and trying to overthrow it. I think, yeah, you, you can totally read that, read into it. I almost said that it was about, like, colonialism, but I think it's more cultural appropriation mm. than that. I didn't I didn't want to go that far. Because, yeah. like, the Halloween Town people don't then, like, take over Christmas, Christmas Town, Town and then, no. like, you know, kill the people there and claim the land as it, their own. Yeah, it doesn't go quite that far for this children's movie mm. um surprisingly so i mean it's tim burton anything could happen anything <laughs> you never happen. know you never know so please if you think that this is a good demonstration of cultural appropriation and what not to do let us know in the comments let, let <laughs> if us... you think that we're just absolutely scrounging for things to talk about in this episode please let us know also because you're probably right i think look I, I i feel like we said this a little bit in newsies but i like i don't think that Nightmare Before Christmas is doing anything uniquely harmful because it's kind of indicative of just a lot of lazy script writing with regards to how it treats 
women. Mm. Like, all the main players in this story are men. Yeah. Except for the one who is also the love interest. And it's... it's I think it's just... Uh, kind of suffers from the same things that a lot of other things do, in that it's not doesn't feel actively malicious in no. its depiction of women. It's just lazy. Yeah, so this film came out in 93, right? And I... You're right, I don't think it's anything malicious, it's just more so that it's indicative of the media that was being released in that time period and Mm -hmm. what was the status quo, and that was just, it was kind of normal and nothing to raise an eyebrow at. If your female characters were not main players and if, you know, it was a highly male-dominated storyline, that was just kind of fairly standard in the early 90s. And I feel like unless they were pushing like a Disney princess, that's kind of what Disney did. They, you know, all, all of the main players in their films were usually male. Is Nightmare Before Christmas Disney? Yeah. Heck, I mean, I did watch it on Disney Plus, so that checks out. <laughs> oh, yeah, I wonder what gave that away. Yeah, it's Disney. Oh, damn. Well, that just puts a whole new spin on it, doesn't it? Puts a whole new spin on it. Disney upholding the status quo? Never! I mean, this is in the middle of the Disney Renaissance. So, 93, what? Um, Little Mermaid would have came out. Aladdin would have just come out. Um, Lion King was about to come out. Lion King was about to Beauty and the Beast had already come out. So, like, I mean, in the context of Disney, they'd already taken, at the time, very big strides in their portrayal of their female protagonists. Like, Ariel in Little Mermaid doesn't really hold up now, but at the time, it was like, whoa, the princess is doing what? Defying her paternal father figure? Yeah. What? Incredible. But then you look at, like, Aladdin, and I think um, Jasmine kind of suffers in the same way that, that Sally does, in that she's this very competent, very prominent figure who is kind of delegated to the damsel in distress and love interest at the mm. end. So Disney was kind of doing both at the same time. And progress isn't linear. No. Two steps forward and one step back. Yeah. Still one step forward. Absolutely. And I think we've got to a point now where feminist content with strong female characters and portrayal of women who have autonomy and um who are more than just their subservience or their sexuality Mm. um are a lot more normalized now and a lot more yeah prevalent in the media we consume ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The other thing I want to talk about in this film is the fact that I've read in a few places that some racist overtones have been brought up and like were brought up in the creation of this film around the Oogie Boogie character mm. um who's like the the proper villain yeah like there are other villainous creatures but you're in Halloween Town everyone's like a little bit evil right whereas he's really evil and uh I was reading about the fact that Caroline Thompson um, who was one of the writers on the film, um, expressed some concerns about this character because I didn't realize this, but part of the character's name is like a racial slur about um, used against African-American right. people. Um, and also like the portrayal of the character in like that burlap outfit is like a little bit like KKK adjacent. But basically, there was this quote on um, another podcast, pod, a podcast quoting a podcast, um, where Caroline Thompson said on the Script Apart podcast, the Oogie Boogie character looks like a Klansman from the Ku Klux Klan. The Oogie Boogie character looks like a Klansman, and the name is a derogatory term for African Americans in the American South. I begged the powers that be to change something about that character because of that. I said, this is so ugly and dangerous and antithetical to everything inside me. I did not win that fight. It was a troubling part of the film for me, to be frank. Plus, his song is sung by a black man, so it's like a trifecta of wrongness. And as I said, I really did beg Tim, i.e. Tim Burton, to reconsider, particularly the name. It's, really e it's a really evil derogatory term, and that's not a fight I won. Wow. Mmm. Heck. That, mmm. That really puts that whole everything into a very different perspective. And if that was from a creative perspective, I'd be really interested to seek out the perspective of somebody that watched that, especially somebody who has lived experience of racism, to yeah. see whether that, like the portrayal in that regard impacted them as an audience member, not just something that a creative felt uncomfortable about. Yeah. That's really that's really interesting. The mm. fact that it's coming from the scriptwriter mm. is is really interesting, and I'd be because yeah. to be perfectly honest, when I first heard that that was a concern that had been raised about the film, yeah. that there were like um, potentially racist racist concerns yeah. about like kind of pseudo portrayal of kkk like characters um a little part of me kind of had warning bells and went is this just something that someone with a probably more conservative agenda has raised to like pretend that there is fake outrage around this to kind of discredit mm. um actual racist issues is that called a? Is that like a red herring? Is that what that's referred to? Uh, I think it's more. I think it's more a false flag. Like a red herring is like propping something up as 
like in a mystery novel or something, somebody is like all signs are pointing to them being the killer, but it turns out that they're not. Right. Uh, that's a red herring. But I think right. I think what what you're describing is more like a false flag of like going, hey, look at this thing over here, that is yeah not entirely true. Liberals are trying to ruin Christmas. Yeah. Um, I mean, I am, but <laughs> <laughs> I did some searching and couldn't mm-hmm. like I couldn't find any black voices speaking on this issue. Yeah. Um, but I do think that it is telling that in what is seemingly a very white production, mm. um, you know, in terms of creatives, in terms of uh, the voice cast, in terms of even just the way that the characters are presented, even mm. though, you know, it's it's hard to tell a character's race when they're like a funky animation yeah. in this regard. Like, it still feels quite white across the board. Yeah. When your one, um, your one black voice actor is playing the villain character who is also like, you know, gambles the whole time and has like a very bluesy song that feels like it has like kind of African-American musical roots as well. Um, again, I don't think that it's necessarily purposefully malicious. Um, although to, again, ignore a woman's perspective about the fact that, um, like raising the KKK concerns. Um, but again, it just really upholds that same stereotype and status quo um, yeah. to to villainize and to associate um, typically black music and black voices mm-hmm. with the the villainous character. It kind of reminded me of Little Shop of Horrors. Me too! In that regard. In... Yeah, very much so. In like particularly in traditional casting, where the the plant is is like the most prominent um, person of color in the cast. There's the urchins as well, um, but you know the plant being the villain, mm. and yeah, it yeah reminded me very much of that. Yeah, very much so. Although that's the best song in Night Before Christmas, like the funky song that he sings. Best song. It's the only song I like. Ugh, that sue me. Sue me. You are entitled to your own opinion. I like that you're being much kinder to me than I was to you about Newsies because it's a feminist podcast and if you objectively tell me that I'm wrong, that doesn't farewell. If you could come to the conclusion that you're wrong on your own, no, I'd really no such appreciate thing it. Be happening. Anyone because... that knows me will know that <laughs> me coming to the conclusion that I'm wrong by myself is uh, not something <laughs> that happens frequently. I, I adore this score. I adore... Like, I think the songs are phenomenal. Like, most of my notes were just like, I love this song. Mm. This song is amazing. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Look, this, yeah. is, this is how good I think the, the score is. My favourite song from it is the one where Jack discovers the joys of Christmas <laughs> in What's This. Brilliant song. Absolutely, stunningly gorgeous. Yeah. I literally texted Blake while I was watching this because just coincidentally he'd asked me like the day before, have you ever seen that before Christmas? And I was like, no, I haven't. And then he was like, oh, well, the thing I was about to say is irrelevant, so carry on. (laughs) Um, And I was like, oh, I'm watching it now. And I texted him being like, is it just me or do all these songs just kind of suck a little bit? (laughs) 
just... I feel very opposed <laughs> to that opinion. Because I, I think like I, I don't think I don't think all of them are winners. Um I think Sally's song is a little bit Snooze Fest. Snooze Fest. Um a couple of the ones like like Making Christmas or or the, the, the town meeting are a bit like, okay, right, you're you're using this to kinda get the scene along. But like Oogie's song. What's this? This is Halloween. Okay, this is Halloween is a true bop. Incredible. Jack's Lament. Poor old Jack at the end. Oh, I adore no. it. Snooze it's Fest. so, so ridiculously cool. Uh, the the Adelaide Symphony Orchestra quite a few years ago did a Danny Elfman night huh. where they performed uh, parts of his scores from all these different films and they ended with The Nightmare Before Christmas and Danny Elfman walked out onto the stage and sung like four of the songs and I'm like this is the coolest thing I've ever seen that's really sick and he he looked and acted exactly like you would imagine danny elfman to do <laughs> that's beautiful it was it was so good so i i'm like also like this, this is my nerdy bit talking i'm a huge kingdom hearts fan um which combines if you don't know it combines like disney and final fantasy together it's really awesome i adore it um, but there's a Nightmare Before Christmas world, and so This Is Halloween is one of the songs that plays in that, so that has a really, like, nostalgic memory for me. It's just, uh, it's so... The music, I, I adore the music in this film. I, I love it so much. And if you disagree with that, I'm obliged to acknowledge that you're allowed to. Yeah, it's, it's fine. <laughs> didn't do anything for me Just... but also like i didn't grow up with this film so yeah i don't have an i don't have a nostalgic connection to it I, w I wonder how much of that how much of it is nostalgia like i remember i had one of those um i don't know if you ha had these in australia or if you personally had them like disney sing-along videos I think they definitely like existed here. I just never had one. We like my my because I, I didn't need a video to empower me to sing along. No, <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> no, my I, I think I think my parents were just like he'll like this, and I did. Um, and what's this was one of the songs that I distinctly remember being on that video, and and I wonder if that's part of the reason why it it, it is so important to me because it's just awesome, cute, really really cute, cute. Ellis, this is going to sound like a stupid question because there's only one prominent female character, but does Nightmare Before Christmas pass the Bechdel test? I'm going to say no. Yeah. I'm going to say like a real solid no. Big old nope. No. Definitely not. No, no mate. <laughs> um, I don't think she's a sexy lamp, though. I think she's, she's slightly mm. better than a sexy lamp. A sexy lamp, I don't think, would take the initiative to try and... Save Santa. Santa Claus or escape the the castle. Yeah, would so a sexy times. lamp have a spoon with holes in it? Probably not. No, definitely not. Yeah, although at the very start, it feels very much like I made this sexy lamp, so I get to keep this sexy lamp. <laughs> this sexy lamp is mine. <laughs> I, I'm not sure the film overall portrays her as a sexy lamp, but I think that the the the, the professor, professor definitely, definitely views sees her. her as a sexy lamp. Yeah, this is very true. Um, I just want to point out, I think the design of this film is stunning. Oh, gorgeous, yeah. And, like, everything has become, every image has kind of become iconic mm. in its own way. Like, like the, the curved hill in front of the moon 
And, like, Jack mm. Skellington's design himself is, like, astonishingly wonderful. Yeah. And I think that's what I remember most from this film. I think the, I think the plot is, like, nice. I think it's told effectively. But when I think of this film, it's, like, it's the music and the design that really, really stand out for me. And I wonder if some of that kind of overshadows some elements like the script, which is why perhaps that's part of the reason why Sally's character isn't as fleshed out as it could be or utilized as it could mm. be. Perhaps that's why the script writer's concerns were ignored in terms of aesthetic choices or design choices. Yeah. I, yeah, I do agree. Like, I do think that this film is like the most significant element of it and the reason that it's memorable and iconic is for the aesthetic of it. And so it's evident that that was like a higher priority yeah. um, than, you know, fully fleshed out female characters. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh. But that's okay. The, the next stop motion film that Tim Burton made was The Corpse Bride. And that has at least two women in it. Look out. Yeah. Stepping up in the world. And he actually directed that one. Oh. Yeah. He didn't direct this one. No, he did not. No. No, he did not. Can't remember who did that. <laughs> uh, Henry Selleck? Oh. If I got that right, I'm going to give myself impressed. a pat on the freaking back. I'd be very impressed. Because I remember looking at it and I'm like, I should write this down so I don't forget. So I'm Googling it right now, but I'd like everyone to know that the most recent thing that I Googled was Nightmare Before Christmas KKK. <laughs> That's in my search history now. That's great. Good. Uh, it was directed by Henry Selick. Um, give myself a big old pat on the back. Well done. Well done. Oh, crushed it. He he didn't have Tim Burton's branding. No. Otherwise, we'd remember that he'd... And he directed it well. I think he did a really good job. Stop motion animation is really hard. Yeah, I bet. I know nothing about it, and yeah. it's the concept of trying to try it even freaks me out. Yeah, it's huge. This is Halloween. This, this is Halloween. Halloween. Ellis, Halloween. if our friends would like to get in touch and say, Hey, Mim and Ellis, just want to let you know that you were absolutely clutching at straws <laughs> to try and make Nightmare Before Christmas about cultural appropriation. How can they do that? Well, please send us a message unless you're the clown with the tearaway face, because you are terrifying, if that's the case, and I want nothing to do with you. But if you're not the clown with the tearaway face, you can get in touch with us on Facebook. We are Feminism Ruins Everything dash It's a Feminist Podcast. You can check us out on Instagram at Feminism Ruins Everything Pod. Or if you've listened to this episode and you thought, wow, there's so much insightful discussion <laughs> going on here. Is there any way that I can validate it with my money? You can. <laughs> check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Feminism Ruins Everything pod i also just want to have a moment of self-awareness where i talked about earlier the fact that sometimes um people on either sides of politics um kind of play up the things that people with different political opinions than them um are outraged about mm. like you know um conservative americans going um oh there's a liberal war on Christmas because we can't say Merry Christmas anymore. And, you know, like blowing that out of proportion to like discredit. Yeah. Um, you know, the other side of politics. And I feel like we're not doing ourselves any favors when we're like, 
Nightmare Before Christmas is an allegory for cultural appropriation. I, like, I feel like we are literally falling into that trap. Although, like, A... He's literally appropriating another culture, though. A, it's a genuine concern. And it's not like we're, we're saying that the film, like, is pro-cultural appropriation and therefore we have to boycott it. It's like, no, 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 it's actually... Like a critique um, of it. A critique. We, I just realised, we didn't write or ruin this officially. Oh, we didn't. We just skipped over that. I don't think we had enough to say. <laughs> um, from a feminist perspective, yeah. when you've got one female character and she fulfills literally every possible sexist trope that you could mm-hmm. imagine. And you also have everyone ignoring her yeah. and kind of belittling her. And a woman writer's concerns about racism in the portrayal of certain characters and plot lines were ignored. Yeah. I don't think that's a good, I think that's a blight on the movie. I, yeah, I, I agree. I think, I think we've got to ruin it from think, a feminist perspective. Do. From a feminist perspective. And also from yeah. the fact that the score is boring. Um, sorry, I, sorry, I mean, your mic just like cut out for that, for that last bit. I didn't hear it, but I'm assuming it was nothing but praise for Danny Elfman's score. All right. All right. I think, I think that's us. I think that's done. us done. <laughs> Go, go listen to the songs again. They're all great, no matter what Mim says. All right. Sally's song is a bit boring. Yeah. But this is Halloween. Banger. It's banger. This is Halloween. This, this is, is Halloween. Halloween. See you next week, folks. Feminism ruins everything. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.